right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of Fantasy Baseball Buds. Today, we are going to be touching on second base and shortstop rankings, dropping our top 10 to 15, as well as talking sleepers. I am Matt, your host for the day. Joining me, as always, is Richie. Richie, welcome in. Thanks, Matt. Always a pleasure. Excited to go through second base, shortstop, and talk about our tiers and our sleepers for this year. I'm curious to see how my list aligns with yours. Yeah, I mean, we spoke last night. I think a lot of the um, narrative right now is that second base is very, 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 very low on talent. And as I did my rankings yesterday, I started to realize that the reality is the top is very heavy and everything below a certain tier really just doesn't matter because all of it is pretty much the same. Now, I do have a few players within that one tier itself that I think could have bounce back slash breakout seasons, but it's definitely top heavy this season. I don't expect that to change going into next year. What are your thoughts going into 2024 as we enter 2023? I'm hopeful for 2024. I'm hoping a lot of these players we have listed in our lower tiers and our sleepers, a lot of the guys you like can actually break out. There's got to be a handful of them that make this, um, classification a lot better. You, at least for me, if you don't get one of the top three guys, like you said, it's all the same. Some guys have higher ceilings than the others, but the floors could completely just be waiver wire. You just drop these guys after the first, second month if they don't pan out. And I only really feel comfortable with the first three guys after that. You know, throw a dart at the board and see which one sticks. Um, so in that in that sense, I'm thinking I'm going to try to get one, two, maybe even three of these guys and see which ones pan out, get to a hot start, and hope they stick. What are your thoughts? Yeah, my I think you're you're spot on with that. You know, I'm in a auction draft, in a snake draft. I'm probably going to take the value in another position. I'm not going to take you know the Altuve's, the Semians. You know, when, I guess we'll get right into our rankings here. Um, for me, top three is Jose Altuve, Marcus Semien, and I have Jazz Chisholm at three. But for me, really, it's tier one of Jose Altuve. Tier two, Marcus Semien. Tier three starts the Jazz Chisholm run. In that tier three, I also have Ozzy Albies at four. And then comes in at five and six, you know, a new tier, Max Muncy and Brennan Lau. Um, none of those guys will be on my team because there will be other players that I want to draft at other positions before all of those guys. What starts off your top six? Yeah, I think once we get past tier two, uh, we our rankings start to differ. For me at the top, it's Jose Altuve in a tier of his own. This is a guy who is perpetually going to give you 25 to 30 home runs. He's going to give you batting average, consistently bats over 275. He's going to give you the runs. He's going to give you RBIs, depending on where he's in the lineup last year. He only had 57 RBIs, but... You know, he had 103 runs. Um, so he's as solid as it comes. If I'm in a snake draft, this is a guy I'm prioritizing. Um, I want to get ahead of the competition and be solidified at the position compared to everybody else. After that, it's tier two drop off for me significantly. Marcus Semien and Ozzy Albies. For Semien, I, I just don't believe he's as consistent. You know, he started off slow and then picked it up. Ozzy Albies. He had that 30 home run season, and now he's dealt with injuries, regardless if they've been freak or not. So for those, that's my tier two. 
tier three, a little bit different. I have Jazz here just because we saw half a season of him breaking out. I need to see a little bit more before I can bump him into that tier two. Then I have Andres Jimenez and Tommy Edmond. These are the guys that are going to be uh, solid batting average, um, get you those runs, and that's kind of why I like them. I differ from you and the Max Muncy and Brandon Lau because those are power guys that are kind of lower on the batting average. Brandon Lau had a down season last year, so I could definitely see him bouncing back up. Um, Max Muncy dealt with elbow injuries, did have a hot end to the season, so there's a lot of question marks for that. Overall, I typically rank guys who have a higher batting average more than power. Um, but that's just my general take on it. Well, yeah, and the fear with Brendan Lau, if you look at his overall career slash, 2018, six home runs, 2019, 17 home runs, 2020, 14 home runs. And this was the breakout year in 2021 where he had 39 home runs, 99 RBIs. He hit 247, so definitely not a batting average that you know you're pretty satisfied with if you're looking at roto leagues. But for predominantly in this podcast, we are talking points leagues. And then coming in at 2022 season, only 65 games, eight home runs. So on pace for I'd say roughly 22 home runs last year, would have still been a significant drop in 39. Now the thing is, this is it for him. This is going to pave the way for the rest of his career in the 2023 season. So I'm going to have to put him in a position at six with that power to hope that I can get a bounce back. Because my thought is anything after Brendan Lau, I can basically just throw it aboard. I do like Jake Cronenworth here at seven. I think he might be in that tier with Brendan Lowe as well as Max Muncy, but only because of the counting stats. When you take a look at Cronenworth's stat line, he had a lot of help in regards to those counting stats with the lineup that he's playing in, and it should only get better with Tatis back this year. At 8, I do have Jimenez as well, 9, Polanco, and 10, Tommy Edmond. After Cronenworth, all three of these guys are almost the exact same profile for me. I don't expect Polanco to have more than, say, 15 home runs. I think a lot of his power, possibly like Brennan Laos, was coming from the juiced ball. Now, if you see a bounce back, again, he could be a tear jumper. Uh, Tommy Edmond, we know what we're getting. I think that profile is pretty simple. And now, Richie, you'll have to correct me here. He still should have position eligibility to move around the diamond. Is that correct? Who, who are you referencing? Tommy Edmond uh, at 10. Tommy Edmond, yeah. He should be, I believe, second base and shortstop eligible, at least in ESPN formats. Um, I'm stalling right now as I'm trying to look that up, but that's predominantly primarily, I should say, the format um, and platform that we play on. Well, and, and yes, he is second base and shortstop eligible, but for, for these, I think we should list him as second base because if you're drafting him, that's probably where you're going to be playing him. Yeah, and that position eligibility obviously helps if you have injuries, but again, Tommy Edmond is predominantly going to provide value really only at second base. Uh, so Richie, go ahead and give me your next tier. Yeah, um, just quickly while we're on it, Tommy Edmond is my number six compared to your number 10, and that's because he's just solid as they come, you know, over the last two seasons, bet 265, 262, and then in the 2020 season, bet 250 right on the dot. So you know he's going to give you that 250 to 265. Um, 
you know you're going to get 10 to 15 home runs out of him with a lot of runs, 95 and 91 over the last two years. Not so much in RBIs because he does bat at the top of that Cardinals lineup with 57 and 56 RBIs. I like him more than Jay Cronenworth because Cronenworth did bat 238. Yeah, he might have had a couple more home runs, but I feel more solid with Edmund, and I'm not really sure where and how Cronenworth plays in that new Padres lineup. But moving on to my tier four, I have number seven, Jorge Polanco, um, number eight, Max Muncy, number nine, Jay Cronenworth, and then number 10, Cattell Marte. Now, a lot of these, or two of these guys in here, I am banking on a bounce back and being Jorge Polanco and Cattell Marte. I believe they were injury ridden and I believe the production is gonna come back for them. But I could also see them just being written off. A lot of people aren't believing Cattell Marte but I think he's going to have a little bit more lineup protection with Corbin Carroll in the lineup. Alec Thomas, I hope, is going to progress a little bit. Gabriel Moreno is going to give some batting average in that lineup. I just feel the overall construction is a little bit better. And who knows if Jake Jordan Lauer has a good minor league season, I could see him coming up and also adding a little um, protection into that lineup. All that being said, I think there's a little less pressure on Cattell Marte from that standpoint. So I'm hoping that helps him out well yeah and you talk about roster construction not only for fantasy but for the major league teams and i think this is something that we have to start paying attention to as the rule change happens as we start to see the bases um growing a little bit larger as we start to see the the pickoff attempts being minimized we're going to see more stolen bases as the shift is taken away we're going to see more contact and the arizona diamondbacks have taken a, a stance on contact I think with Corbin Carroll entering the lineup, you're spot on. We're going to see those counting stats hopefully bump up just a little bit for Marte. And then if you can get Lauer in there, you're going to have the resurgence of a little bit of power as other players start to come up. Gil Marte is going to start to be the veteran on this team and start to really step into that second base role that he was supposed to originally be in, which was really just a contact first hitter. I think the juice ball really got in his head and really changed that profile because he thought to himself, oh, I'm now a power hitter. He really needs to revert back to the original stance that he originally was. Um, I don't know that we will ever see another 25 home run season for Kettle, but if we can see a 280 with 80 runs, 90 runs, 15 home runs, maybe 20 steals, that's the kind of player that's going to elevate him up into a higher tier. But that is probably his best season in the majors moving forward. Uh, he does come in at 11 for me. After him, I do have Jonathan India. India obviously having a phenomenal rookie season. I do expect a bounce back, probably not the same kind of numbers we saw in 2021 where he had 21 home runs, uh, 98 runs, uh, 34 doubles. Very nice season there. Big bounce back uh, expected, but probably again around that same contrast that I talked about for Kettle. 15 home runs, 16 home runs. I expect at least 125 games from India this year. And we need to see that average climb back up near the 270s. He batted 249 last year. But I think when you're talking about a kid that is going into his season 26 age, you have opportunity there. Von Grisham comes in at 13 for me. We saw a great explosion from him onto the scene last year. Just yet another Braves prospect that came up and performed. I think when you're talking about Toolsy, he has it. The question is, are they going to play him at shortstop? And if they do, will that hinder him? Because he will be transitioning back to his minor league role. Playing second base last year, I think, was an easier position for him, especially with the shift. 
At 14, I have Jeff McNeil. Uh, Mr. Consistent, I think, is what you can consider uh, McNeil here. You know what you're going to get, lack of power. Obviously, again, the power we saw during the juice ball era for him was kind of a facade. He is going to be your batting average guy. And at 15, I have a dark horse. This is your guy, Richard. This is Brendan Rodgers, former top five pick. Can this be the season Brendan Rodgers finally breaks out? Yeah, I like a lot of what you said there. Um, going into my tier because there's a lot of similar players. At 11, I have Jeff McNeil, followed by Luis Arise. Then I have Glaber Torres, who you have not mentioned yet, and then Brandon Lau at 14, and Vaughn Grissom uh, rounding it out at 15. So a few differences is I don't have Jonathan India or Brendan Rodgers in this group. They'd probably be um, 16 and 17 for me. Um, having said that, Jeff McNeil, I like the average. Luis Rice, like the average. That's why they're in there. Glaber Torres, I like the home run potential that you're going to get from him. And I have a feeling he's going to get traded before the season starts or roughly after the season starts. So I have a feeling whoever trades for him will give him the opportunity. And there's that less pressure from the New York Yankees. Brandon Lau, I have my concerns about that batting average. So that's why he's there. Vaughn Grissom, I could totally see making the leap and jumping into my tier three or four in that four to eight range. It's just a matter of, is he going to be able to play there's been some rumors that he might start in the minors and Orlando Arcia might be the starting shortstop for the Atlanta Braves it's going to depend on what happens in spring training so that gives me a little pause I might have to drop him a little bit lower in my rankings so we'll have to see what happens there Jonathan India the injuries he dealt with a hamstring injury last year that could be the reason why he had such a low batting average I do think he can bounce back get to 260 again I just worry about the home runs. He does play in Cincinnati, so that's always going to give him a boost. I just am concerned that he still is going to struggle to get 10 to 15 home runs. And then I've got, as far as Brendan Rodgers goes, he is on my sleepers list, but I've invested in him three, four years in a row now, man. It just has not come down. I mean, I think this time last year, I was banking on Brennan Rodgers hitting 25 to 30 home runs. Do you remember that? And he told me I was crazy. And guess what? What he hit 13? I don't have it up in front of me. It was definitely less than 15, and he had a 260 batting average. I was high on him. I thought he'd hit 270, 280 with 30 home runs and be in that top five discussion. I just don't know if it's ever going to happen. He's more of a doubles guy in my mind. But I still like him if you miss out on one of those top guys. Yeah, it's really interesting to evaluate the Rodgers profile. When he was drafted out of high school, he was drafted as possibly the best hitter in the draft. Obviously, heading to Colorado, the expectation was that he was going to have an elevated uh, slash line because of the environment that he played in. And I think what we really saw with Rodgers was a lack of development from his body. You know, projectability is a big thing in high schoolers. You expect for them to grow in height a little bit, possibly, or at least in body size, muscle mass. Rodgers really didn't fill out, essentially limiting the power. And the hit tool itself kind of stayed the same, and he just never really gathered that 300 average. Now, I think if he can let go of the power completely and just lean on the average, I think he can be a 300 hitter, a 280 hitter, uh, especially playing in Colorado. But again, the development for Rodgers, we've seen him now for three seasons in the major leagues, and it just has not come yet. So at this point, what you may look at Rodgers is, is a guy that floats the waiver wire, and when that breakout comes, you're just going to have to be mindful to be picking up and dropping him 
as he hits these hot streaks with the hopes that it sticks. 16 and 17 for me is Brennan Drury, who is now in Anaheim. I do like the lineup a lot. 17 is uh, Jean Segura. And I have kept off Torres as well as um, Arias from this list because for the most part, I just have no interest in drafting them. And I, when I look at Torres and I looked at this list, I would still rather have Segura at 17 than Torres. I'd rather have Drury at 16, and I'd rather have the possible upside of Rodgers at 15 than having Torres. It's nothing to say against your rankings. I just have also been burned by Torres in the past. And Arias, we know what he has. He is Mr. Hit Tool. He's the batting average champion. Changing lineups, though, in a bigger ballpark with a, I'd say, a worse surrounding cast around him as well as a surrounding cast that may be willing to move him in and out of the lineup as the management concerns me a lot so he would probably fall in at 18 over Torres for me um Richie do you want to finish out your sleepers or excuse me your tiers or do you want to move into sleepers yeah that, that ends my rankings and tiers um we already um for my sleepers I got four of them we already hit on two of them being Brennan Rodgers and Jonathan India and the other two is DJ LeMahieu. I think he can bounce back, assuming he has playing time. And then the other one is Luis Garcia I want to touch on. I know you were high on him last year, and I didn't necessarily buy in. This year's a different story. I like him a lot this year. He's now going to be 22-23 um, this season, and he's been in the league for since 2020. So you got to remember, he was brought up as a 20-year-old. He probably going to hit right around 275 to 300. I'm guessing he doesn't walk much um, with less than 10%. Strikeout rate's okay, right around the 20% range. If he can develop his power, he had seven home runs last year um, at the MLB level and then eight um, at AAA. If he can get that to 20, I think you're going to get a steal. This guy is basically free in drafts. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if in our auction dynasty, this is the guy you go and pick up for a dollar at the end of the, the draft map. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. What are your thoughts on Luis Garcia? Yeah, Garcia is a guy I'm absolutely targeting. When we look at the overall profile, I think this may be an individual that was brought up a little too early at the age of 20. If you look at his minor league numbers, his hit tool was was there. He was showcasing that the, the ability to be a major league hitter I think the Juan Soto profile that they saw right off the bat in Double A really jumped to them, and they ex uh, they elevated our boy a little bit too fast. Now, Luis Garcia, I'm hoping will be the best Luis Garcia in Major League Baseball. Time will tell. He is absolutely an individual for one dollar that I am targeting for that upside. We do have others as well, though. We have C.J. Abrams, who's out there. Um, excuse me, C.J. Abrams would be a, a shortstop. We have um, Thyro Estrada, a little ahead of myself. Uh, but another name I'm really, really excited about this year, and we'll pair this with Brendan Rodgers, is Gavin Lux. Gavin Lux possibly could be on the market as well, as you talked about uh, Glaber Torres being moved. I think Gavin Lux might have the opportunity to play somewhere else with the same concept, a little more playing time, less pressure. We saw Gavin coming up as an elite-level hitter with power. Gavin is not necessarily the power hitter we thought he was, but I do think he probably provides more career power than Brennan Rodgers, and I still do believe in the ability for him to hit 280, 290. Very young player. I think when we talk about profiles, the Kelnick-Lux experiment that had Seattle and L.A., I think Lux might actually be the better player career because he has the ability to elevate his individual position tier. 
So I look for Gavin Lux to have a very big season this year, as well as Luis Garcia. Both of those individuals are late round sleepers. If you are going to pair, say, a Jonathan Indy or a Von Grisham with somebody that you want to have upside, or you want to look at a Jimenez or possibly a McNeil, these are two guys that you absolutely can pair in there with the idea that I might get a top 12, top 8 second baseman if something strikes my way. Now, again, Garcia has the playing time in front of him. And I really like that more so than Lux right now where we're talking about the hearsay of where is he going to play, where is he going to play. Another couple of names for you. We do have Norlin Gorman. We cannot forget about Nolan Gorman. He's going to be a guy that provides you power. Obviously, high strikeouts. So in points leagues, you're going to want to stay away there. Um, Paredes in Tampa Bay. We had a good stretch for him last season. Definitely showcased the power. Also a very streaky hitter, though. So someone you might want to wave on and off the waiver wire. Thyro Estrada for the Giants is looking like he could be a mainstay in their lineup. Good 15 home runs a year. Bats 250. Are we going to see an increase in growth for him? And then two veterans round out my sleepers. DJ LeMahieu for the Yankees. We've kind of forgotten about his ability. He has definitely fallen off. Is it the end of a career or is it just a down year? This season will tell for DJ LeMahieu. And then Whit Merrifield. Perennially a top three round pick at second base. Wit has fallen off as the dead, as the juice ball era dies, as well as the age climbs up and stolen bases fall off for Merrifield. With Tampa, uh, excuse me, with Toronto this season, I think we will see less playing time, but I do think we could see an increase in batting average, a couple nice stolen bases. He could be a guy at the end of drafts that you could look at putting on your bench for stolen bases or to possibly protect your second base for a breakout or a re-emergence. Yeah, my only fear with Whit Merrifield is I don't think his average is ever going to be back in that 280 range. He hit 250 last year, and uh, I don't have the metrics in front of me, but there has been a lot to suggest that his speed has caught up with him with his age. He went from 40 stolen bases last year or two years ago to 16 in 2022. I don't believe he can bounce back i still think he can provide you 15 stolen bases but where he's going right now getting 250 with stolen bases is not a bad thing to get especially in road or categories leagues and points leagues i'm probably staying away from him yes i i think you know deep leagues if you're a guy that prefers the veterans over the youngsters i think i'm probably taking dj in all honesty um wit just it looked like he fell off a cliff. It really did. But again, we've seen this with Joey Votto, right? And I will use it as a Joey Votto profile. A couple of years of struggling and all of a sudden one more reemergence. He could be very valuable with Maryfield could if he can have a reemergence. Again, though, you're taking a late round flyer. There's a lot of guys through our tier rankings, through our positional showcase that we're going to talk about that I would probably rather have on my roster than a Whit Maryfield. You know, we just spoke on two of them. I would rather have Lux. I would rather have Garcia. I'd rather have Nolan Gorman. But that's because I preference the younger guys over the older guys because I'm looking for the guy that I can hold on to for a number of years in a dynasty league. So we talked about a lot of sleepers here. So for the listeners, how would you rank your top three sleepers? Who are the three sleepers, one through three, that you are looking to get in drafts? One would be Lux. Um, I just think when you're talking about the profile that he had, you, you have a possible all-star at any given moment. 
He just needs, it needs to click for him. And he could be a guy that just never clicks. So Lux is one. Coming in at two is Garcia for me. Because I don't necessarily think you have a all-star on your hands once it clicks. I think what you have is a perennial possible all-star. A guy that's always just pushing the envelope to be an all-star. Um, and then probably three, in all honesty, Richie, I think Nolan Gorman. He is a swing change away from being a decent hitter without without the shift implemented with power. And I know the strikeouts will always be there, but I say that because, again, we play in a league where strikeouts are not negatively impacted. Um, I, I think if you're in any other league that's a points-based league, you're going to have to be careful of that. But in our league, you know, roto leagues, even categories leagues, Nolan Gorman could be nice, but again, playing time is my concern. So Lux, Garcia, Nolan Gorman. I like it. Moving on, we have finished second base. Now we get to the meat of the infield. We are going into shortstop rankings. Richie, why don't you go ahead and kick us off here with your one through five. Give me the concept of your tiers. Yeah, I like, um, while doing these rankings, there's one thing I will say. Shortstop is different than second base. I feel pretty good about probably the top 13 of my shortstops. After that, I don't like anybody compared to second base where I like the the top three. And after that, I don't feel comfortable. But any one of those, look how many guys we talked about, maybe 20 guys that if you miss out on the top three or four, any one of those 20 guys could be easily uh, starting second baseman for you. If you miss out on one of these top 13 guys in shortstop, you're, you're really going to be hurting. So having said that, uh, I feel the most confident in my top six, which are two tiers, three and three. And I feel, in my opinion, there's a big drop off after you get past six. So leading it off, I have Trey Turner, number one, Fernando Tatis, number two, and number three, Bo Bichette. These three guys, I feel, have all-star potential. They've shown it. They can bat 300, and they can hit 30 home runs. I feel that is what you're expecting out of those guys, and all of them can run, so you know they're going to get those counting stats with those runs. Going to my tier two, I have Corey Seager, Francisco Lindor, and Carlos Correa. Corey Seager, I think, is going to be the biggest beneficiary of the shift change. Uh, I believe he lost out on 25 hits um, with the shift intact. Francisco Lindor uh, got back to his normal self, batted 270 over 20 home runs. I think that's something realistic from him. You're not going to get 30 home runs out of him, and he's not going to bat 300, but it's a little bit less than those tier one guys. And then at number six, I don't know if you're necessarily going to agree with this, but it's Carlos Correa. This is a guy who's known for his hit. He's going to bat above 270, 275. I think he can easily hit 300. And he's going to give you those 20 to 30 home runs. Where he lacked last year was the counting stats and runs and RBIs. But I think that was a product of the lineup around him. Byron Buxton was injured. Alex Kirilov was in and out with that wrist injury. Jose Miranda didn't come up until later in the year. Jorge Polanco, who we just talked about, had a very down year, batted 230. Um, when he was used to batting 280 or above. So I believe he'll bounce back. Um, who else am I missing? The list goes on and on. I think the Minnesota Twins as a whole played down from what they should have, and I expect them to bounce back in a big way. Yeah, we had a conversation at length last night about Carlos Correa himself, and I have moved him up one spot in my rankings. Um, we will get to him in a moment. 
My number one is Trey Turner, and it is one of one here. Trey Turner has the the career profile to showcase exactly what you want in a points league, exactly what you want in a roto league, exactly what you want in a head-to-head categories league. Trey Turner is your guy. He's the guy that we have no questions about, and he's also not going to go through the same streaks that my number two hitter is, which is Bo Bichette. Bo Bichette's second half last year saved his line and saved his butt. Still love the lineup that Bo is in. Still love the profile and everything that we have for Bo Bichette. But I want to put him at two because Trey Turner is Mr. Consistency. At number three, I have Lindor. Lindor, thank you very much. You won me a little money last year against yourself, Richard. That was a very, very tight race. One home home run. run. Uh, But a nice season from Lindor. I think we finally got ourselves back to where Lindor is in that superstar status. I think the confidence is back. I think we're going to keep him in our top five for, say, the next three or four seasons because Frankie is that good. At number four, I have Seager. You said everything right about Seager. I'm expecting the average to climb back up this year. I'm expecting the home runs to increase this year. I'm expecting the counting stats to increase this year with the addition of Josh Young. Uh, I think this will be a better lineup. I think he will have more opportunity and he will finally be leaned on to be the offensive powerhouse in this lineup that now has pitching depth to provide them a run at the wild card. Number five was very challenging for me. I have Tatis coming in at five because of the immense upside he provides on a per game value once that suspension ends. I really thought about everyone underneath Tatis and who would I rather have come August It really was Tatis over everyone else. Now, the reason he didn't break my top four was because, again, he is suspended, and there is question marks about the health of that wrist, the strength of that wrist, and the production coming off of a steroid pop. Now, I feel like he will be fine, but those questions had to drop him outside the top four. That really ends, I'd say, a tier for me. Tier one is obviously Turner. Tier two is Bichette, Lindor, and Seager. Tier three, by himself, by himself is Tatis. And then at six, I have a tier of my own, but we will wait. Go ahead and give me your next list. Yeah, so this is where the drop-off occurs for me. And this next guy at number seven, Bobby Witt, I'm probably going to get no shares of him anywhere because consensus-wide across um, the industry, he's being ranked as the number two, three, or four shortstop. I don't know how you can anoint him that after he, in his first season, betted 254 yes he did hit 20 home runs and 30 stolen bases and i think it's that stolen bases that are driving him up but i think everybody's projecting him to take a big step in the batting average category to hit 290 to 300 and i think where he's going in drafts right now you're expecting the best possible outcome from him and i I don't feel comfortable drafting a guy at his ceiling having said that i do have him at number seven because He does provide that power and those stolen bases, and I do think his floor is 250. Um, The rest of the tier, I have Wander Franco at 8, Dansby Swanson at 9, and O'Neal Cruz at 10. This was a tough tier for me, um, especially with O'Neal Cruz, because I love his power, and he's been mimicked as the next Aaron Judge uh, by multiple sources, especially with his strikeout rate. But... You know me, I like average. I like guys who don't strike out. That's kind of my niche. Um, So that's what fears me. I think his floor could be Joey Gallo and his ceiling could be Aaron Judge, and that's a wide range of outcomes. I could easily see him drop outside the top 13, but I could also see him be the number one or two shortstop this time next year. Wander Franco, he's going to be a 300 batting 
um, average person, the thing that you worry about with him, is he going to hit five to 10 home runs or is he going to finally figure it out after his wrist injury and hit 20 to 25 home runs and jump into that tier two range? Dansby Swanson should probably be in my tier two, but he is moving to a, a worse lineup in the Chicago Cubs. And I personally don't necessarily, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about Dansby Swanson. You know what I mean? Like he's just a guy. He's just, he's not good, but he's not great. Um, yeah. I think he's just going to bet 260 with 20 home runs. What are your thoughts? Yeah. Whit, you said it perfectly for Wit. Wit comes at number six for me. I'm not going to get any shares of him. I, I think he's the guy that's going to fluctuate based on if you're doing a snake draft. He happens to be the best available player. You have a shortstop need in probably the fourth, fifth round, and you're like, I can't not take Bobby Witt here. But he also might be gone by the third or fourth round there. Um, so he's in at number six for me. Again, more upside than my number seven. More consistency than my number eight and number nine. And I think more upside as well than my number 10. So coming in at number seven, I have Dansby Swanson. You just spoke on him. I think from a consistency perspective, Swanson outplays eight and nine. And I think ultimately health-wise is why he overcomes number 10. Number eight, I have O'Neill Cruz for pure upside. You said it best. He could be the number one shortstop off the board next year. He could have an absolute explosion onto the scene this year. A few of our uh, podcasts that we listen to have choked. He also could be cut this season on your fantasy team, which I really do think could be the worst case option if he just can't figure it out. Um, but I also think what we've seen with the bat speed, also the minor league numbers and the age at which he's at, I think we are going to see at least a repeat of what he did last year. I do expect growth from last year, though. If you look at what Aaron Judge did, Aaron Judge came up at a later uh, personal age. Same thing with O'Neill Cruz coming up last year at 23. Going into his 24 season, he has the opportunity to be more mature as well as more developed. I think playing last year showcased exactly what we see from a lot of rookies is rookie struggle. Coming in at number nine is Wander Franco. And this one has been a guy that we've struggled with for a few years now. And I wanted to roll back the numbers a little bit and showcase what he was able to do in the minor leagues to really paint and forecast what you can expect from him throughout his career. In 2018, at the age of 17, Wander Franco had 11 home runs, batted 351 with over 1,000 OPS. And that was in rookie league, exploded onto the scene, started climbing prospect rankings. 2019 in uh, low A as well as high A, nine home runs, 327 with an 885 OPS. Again, power wasn't there, but the average was explosive. Stealing bases, had 18 stolen bases in 114 games that season, continued his prospect run. In uh, the 2020 season, he was able to pull off six games, and this looks like it would have been Arizona Fall, did not have a very good showing. Uh, we're going to jump to the 2021 season here where he played with Durham at age 20. This is AAA numbers. It's seven home runs, batted 313 with a 955 OPS. Obviously ended up uh, having an opportunity that season to climb to the number one ranked prospect. And then we looked at last year, 2022 with the Rays, six home runs in 83 games, batted 277 with a 746 OPS. I think when I look back on these numbers, what I really see is that the power projection possibly was wrong. 
What we expected was the same thing with Brendan Rodgers, where as you elevate through the minor leagues and you hit the major leagues at a young age, the power should come. But if you really look at what Wander Franco's best attribute was, it was the 300 average. And I think that's what we have to lean on for points, categories, and roto is the fact that you're going to have a guy that hopefully scores you the runs, possibly gets you the doubles, but that power may be limited to about 15 home runs until we see something else change. Also, the speed has not been there. 18 stolen bases were the most in his minor league career. That was in 2019 between two levels. He was also caught stealing 14 times that season. So definitely not a plus-plus base stealer. I love Wander Franco. I love the upside. I love the overall prospect pedigree, but he has to come in at number nine for me because, there, yes, there's still that upside, but there are question marks, which leads me to my number 10, which is what we kind of alluded to earlier, and that is Carlos Correa. I love everything you said, but I do not like the fact that that contract has been signed. The ink is dry. You're seeing a player over the course of his career that actually had the most home run output in 2021 with Houston before he hit the free agent market. His highest home run total before the 2021 season was 24 home runs in 2017. Last year, he had 22. 2019, in only 75 games, still juiced ball. He was able to pull off 21. So that would have been an explosion, I think, for him. Uh, looking back even further, we have 20 home runs in 2016 and 22 home runs in 2015. So we have the output opportunity for him to be around the 25 range. But again, last year with only 70 runs scored in comparison to his 2021 season where he had 104 runs scored was a huge drop off and a huge hit to his overall point performance. Also in 2021, he had 92 RBIs in comparison to 2022, he had 64 RBIs. And if you look at that 21 season, the only time he topped that in RBIs would have been his 2016 season where he had 96. What I'm seeing from the numbers is a player that can be on a year-to-year basis very streaky with his overall point production from runs as well as RBIs. Now again, his input should be better this year with a better lineup in Minnesota, but I'm not banking on it. I would take the upside of Franco and Cruz, and I would take the stability of Swanson over Carlos Correa. Those are all valid points. Um, I just I just believe in the bounce back, and I'm probably going to get a lot of shares of Carlos Correa because he is going lower in that 10 to 12 range. So that is definitely a player I will be getting. Well, and listen, I, I love it. For where he's at in the draft, absolutely love it. If he's drafted where he should be, you're getting value, right? But that's been the problem with Correa for how many years now? I mean, think about just last year. He went for what, Richie, $25, $28 in our auction draft? That to yeah. me is too much, right? If at, at that point I would, I would rather have Frankie Lindor. Like, at least I know I'm getting a superstar, right? This will be the year where I think we start to see his value actually where he's at. And to me personally, he is. Oh, I've got one more name, but this is it. Like this is where consistency yeah. and upside really changes. And there might be one more player a little bit lower on that I'm. I would like to have, but I would still probably rather have Correa. Well, I'm just looking at ESPN. He's currently ranked as the 14th shortstop behind this next year of mine, which is Jeremy Pena, Willie Domus, and Tim Anderson. But I did forget to mention Xander Bogarts in my tier with Wander Franco, Swanson, and O'Neill Cruz. I put him right there, right ahead of Wander Franco. I think he's the best version of what you hope to get out of Wander Franco. Um, he's going to give you that 300 batting average, and you know he's going to hit 15 to 20 home runs. Plays in a better 
lineup with the San Diego Padres now versus Tampa Bay Rays. Um, but moving along, let's move into my next tier, which is Jeremy Pena, Tim Anderson, and Willie Adamas in that range. I think all three of these guys are different versions. So it depends on what you need and want come draft time. I think Jeremy Pena is going to be the best bet to give you um, average, a deep, little bit of power, a little bit of counting stats. He's not going to necessarily hurt you or boost you in any range. I think Willie Adamas hurts you a little bit in the batting average, but he's going to provide you that power. And Tim Anderson is the complete opposite. He's going to provide you that batting average and give you almost nothing in power. So it depends if you're playing categories of Roto, what do you need? And if you don't have a shortstop, which one of these guys do you target? Just looking at ESPN, they're all going in the same range. Tim Anderson at 88, Willie Adamas at 92, and Jeremy Pena at 96. As we mentioned, Carlos Correa is going at 98. I would bypass all three of those guys and go for Carlos Correa, but that's just my take. What about you, Matt? Yeah, I mean, we're very similar here in tiers. Uh, coming in at 11 is Willie Adamas, and this was the conversation you and I had last night was, you know, Correa or Adamas. When you really looked at Correa's numbers, it was kind of startling to see that Willie Adamas outperformed him in a lot of ways outside of average. But Willie Adamas, as we know as Brewer fans, definitely has issues at times making contact. And we thought coming over from Tampa into Milwaukee that, you know, the backstop would help. Well, obviously, he is what he is at this point. He's a 250 hitter with power. And again, in points leagues, especially in points leagues where strikeouts are not negatively impacted, you have a great opportunity to take Adamus and really reap the benefits of that with the power and the contact, uh, excuse me, the counting numbers. Number 12, though, is my number one highlight, I think, in this entire uh, tier list, and that is Jeremy Pena. Obviously, World Series MVP, ALCS MVP, so much in the pedigree of what he did, but I kind of want to highlight those playoff performances. Against New York, he had 18 plate appearances. He had six hits. He had two home runs. He batted 353. Absolute great series for him. Uh, Big-time hits, obviously winning MVP of that series, and then coming into the World Series against Phillies, six games, uh, 25 total at-bats, 10 hits, only one home run, bad to 400. I think this could be the season where we really see him marvel and pair himself in that Carlos Correa classification, which is ironic since Correa came from the Astros organization. But you have an opportunity to take Pena a little bit after Correa, a little bit after Adamas, and I think reap similar rewards. So if you're looking to pair out the rest of your lineup, if you're looking to add another pitcher before you take the Correas or the Adamases, you can still go out and grab Pena. If you look at the 2022 season alone, already marveled what Correa did. And honestly, very similar numbers. 72 runs scored, 20 doubles, 22 home runs, 63 RBIs, 11 stolen bases, only batted 253. I think that's the highlight that I'm bringing here after his postseason performances. We do have growth in the batting average opportunity. So you could really start to see Pena climb to that 270, possibly even the ceiling of a 280 hitter this year. And if you can get that, you're talking about a possible top 10 shortstop here. Xander Bogart's coming in at 13 for me. Xander had a down year last year, uh, batting 15 home runs, 307, 84 runs, 73 RBIs with eight stolen bases. Coming into a new lineup this year with the Padres, you're going to expect to see some of those counting stats jump up. I expect the power to even fall further than those 15 home runs. 
If you look at his best season, it was also in the juiced ball era. 2019, he had 33 home runs with 117 RBIs. He batted 309 with a 939 OPS. An incredible year for him, but again, juiced ball era. Coming into the 2020 season, obviously, uh, minimized games. He had 11 home runs with a 300 average. So we saw the power continue. But then we started to see a, reg- a regression. 2021, 23 home runs, 295, 863 OPS. Still, fantastic numbers for a shortstop. 2029 is, I think, the profile that we can expect moving forward, which is similar to his 2020, uh, excuse me, 2017 year. 15 home runs in 2022. In 2017, he had 10 home runs in 148 games. His OPS that season was 746. That was age 24 season, so that should have been the start of his prime. I think Xander Bogart's height moving forward is around that 20 home run range, but being in Petco Park does not help him. So Xander Bogarts comes in at number 13. And then Tim Anderson comes in at number 14 because we know exactly what he is. Yeah, no, I agree with everything you said there. Um, Tim Anderson, you know, he's going to give you that that batting average just like Xander Bogarts, but he's not going to give you any power at all. Um, I do agree with what you said with Xander Bogarts. Um, with the, the 20 home runs, I don't foresee him hitting more than that unless they do change the ball, which I wouldn't be surprised after uh, MLB took um, some feedback from the fans saying they want shorter games and more action on the basis. So that's why they installed the pitch timer and they got rid of the shift to hopefully see more of that. I could see um, them possibly changing the balls again to get not necessarily the juice ball back, but maybe get a little bit more home runs. So we'll see what happens with that. Not forecasting or predicting anything, but I don't foresee it being, I don't want to say dead ball era again, but I could see home runs being um, produced a little bit in the future. Getting a little tangent here, but I just pulled up Tim Anderson's uh, statistics. He did only play 79 games last year. He batted 301 with six home runs. The previous years, he had 17 home runs, 10 home runs, and 18 home runs. Um, but you're, once again, going back to that juice ball era, at the most, he hit 20 home runs in 2018, the height of the juice ball. I don't think you're getting more than 15 home runs from this guy ever, and you're better off looking at 10. Yeah, I mean, this is the hardest thing now to project moving forward. What do they do with the ball? Where, did this, where do we stand with that? How do we project players moving forward? I think we have to lean on before the 2018-2019 season to really project moving forward. And if we run back into another juice ball era, Major League Baseball is really going to have to just say to the fans that this is how things are going to be moving forward, expect it to be this way, which we will then have to shift and adjust our rankings accordingly. So, Richie, we are on to sleepers. Give me some of the guys that you like to pair with any number of our top-tiered players that... Maybe guys that you're looking for either a breakout or a reemergence in the 2023 season. Yeah, I've got four guys that I like this year. Uh, the first one is Ezekiel Tovar, shortstop for the Colorado Rockies. Did well, came up at the end of last season. He's going to have the everyday role, so just being in Colorado um, automatically gives him a boost. Hopefully he can provide some power. C.J. Abrams, traded from the San Diego Padres over to the Nationals. Um, he was brought up progressively just kind of like Luis Garcia. He's going to produce that average. I think he's a 300 hitter. Is he going to produce power? That is yet to be seen, but he is still very young. 
Um, I could see him taking a step forward. I'd be willing to roll the dice on him. Then I have Royce Lewis, injury-ridden, but he's shown that he can produce power and average when he has been healthy and is in that Minnesota Twins lineup. For whatever reason, all these Minnesota Twins can't stay healthy. Um, I think he's out the first two or three months of the season, so not somebody you necessarily need to draft or even pick up now, but somebody to keep an eye on. You've got a deep IL, go and grab him, throw him on there. Um, somebody I definitely like. He's got that post, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Post prospect hype. Like everybody's forgotten about him, but this was a, a top prospect. I think he was near top three, top five, maybe even top one prospect not too long ago. And then lastly, I have Oswald Peraza for the New York Yankees. There's been the rumors of Glaber Torres getting traded. Um, what happens with DJ LeMayhew? He did excellent for the Yankees, and if he gets a position, I wouldn't be surprised if he succeeds. Um, What are your thoughts on all these guys, Matt? Yeah, you mentioned some really good names there. I only have a couple more to add to the list here. Uh, First one off being Anthony Volpe for the New York Yankees. You You mentioned Peraza. There is some interest as to does Volpe come up right off the bat? Does Volpe come up, you know, mid-season, right after April? When does his arrival happen? And the industry is very, very, very high in Anthony Volpe. I am not. Um, Now, I think he's a sleeper in fantasy because I think in that lineup, if you have a starting job, you can provide value. The reason I am not as high on Volpe as the industry is because I'm just not sold on the batting average. So we're going to take a little bit deeper dive into what he has done over the course of his minor league here. In the 2021 season between two levels, that is high A and low A, Volpe at age 20 had 27 home runs. He batted 294 with 101 strikeouts and an OPS over 1,000. This is really the emergence of Volpe in prospect rankings. You look down, though, at the 2022 season split between two different levels, double A and triple A, 132 games. He had 21 home runs, so the power continued. He had a batting average, though, of 249 and an OPS around 800. My concern is that if Volpe cannot hit at AAA or AA above the 251 mark, which was his AA number in 110 games, are we going to see an immediate struggle from him at the major league level at age 22? That will be his 2023 season. I like the power profile. I like the ability for him to steal 50 bases in which he did 20 uh, in 2022. He has the ability to give you multiple category production but again i am concerned that the batting average is going to hinder him and it's ironic because there is another new york yankee that we have struggled with for years who cannot hit over 250 in glaber torres so are we just going to see the same profile out of volpe with a little more speed that is my question mark now i do think he provides you sleeper value at shortstop this season because again he can hit home runs he can add to those counting stats in the new york lineup but again, we need to monitor the batting average. For me, another sleeper this year is Bryce Terang for the Milwaukee Brewers. Very different profile than you have of a lot of these prospects. He is going to be a speed on-base guy first. He had 13 home runs in his 22 uh, season in the minor leagues and over 150, uh, over 532 at-bats. OPS did not break 800, though, in AAA. This has been a guy that was taken out of Southern California by Milwaukee in the first round at, with the 21st pick. He was expected to be a very, very good player. He was committed to LSU right after Bregman left. So the big talk was you're getting a steal in the draft. He just has not filled out in the body, much like we've talked about with other players on this podcast today. 
Milwaukee, though, going contact first, going base-to-base approach, putting together a lineup that has a lot of counting numbers that plays off each other well. I think Terang could be a guy that fills in at the end of your season, possibly pushes you through the playoffs, because again, you know what you're going to be getting. Maybe a home run every two weeks. You're going to be get those counting stats. You're going to be getting the runs, the stolen bases, hopefully an RBI or two. Bryce Strang's definitely a guy to keep in mind during the season for Fantasy Baseball 2023. I like those. Um, I definitely agree with Anthony Volpe. Uh, the one thing I don't like, it is a limited sample size, but once he made it a AAA in 22 games, he did strike out at 30%. I don't like seeing that. Anything above 25 gives me pause. So we'll just see what happens. Can he transition this year, and can he make the leap? Yeah, and it'll be interesting for us to monitor through the next few years, you know, trying to identify factors that cause play, uh, big-time prospects to fizzle. When you look at Franco's profile, I think the only thing we could have saw was the concern of showcased power, right? He's still too young to really say, oh, he's not going to reach the ceiling that people had expected for him. I'm looking at Volpe. I'm seeing strikeout in concerns. I'm seeing average concerns. Those are things going into the season that I'm going to monitor and things that as he continues to develop as a major leaguer, I will also look back on and, and kind of notate as to why he changed either his profile to succeed or exactly became what we thought he would. Um, but that does wrap us for today. We have finished second base and shortstop rankings. We will have third base for you on the next show and probably start our outfield. Uh, we know how that goes. We have obviously a lot of outfielders to dive through. Uh, but thank you again for listening and we will catch you next time.